Listener Production. On today's edition of Footy Talk, we are joined by Nick Rewalt and we discuss the Brownlow medal last night won by Lockie Neal. We discuss our memories of grand final week and losing prelims and losing grand finals. And we will preview the big game between Brisbane and Collingwood. That's all up next on Footy Talk. This is Footy Talk, your daily dose of news, interviews and analysis from the world of AFL. And as always, on every Tuesday throughout the footy season, and for the very last time, we're joined by Nick Rewalt over in Texas. Hello, Rui. Uh, mate, grand final week. What's your just initial thoughts? Before we really dive in, initial thoughts when you think about grand final week, what comes to your mind? It takes on a different life now than it did when when we were still playing and even those first few years after retirement when you knew the dream was over, it's a little bit different. So, look, it's one of excitement, I think, for the industry and for everyone associated with it. So, really, when you get to the end of the year and and you have a, a matchup that's stacking up like the one we've got in front of us, which is clearly the two best teams of the year, I think as neutral fans, that's all we can ask for, isn't it? That's right, Rui, and it's glad that basically you're saying you can now watch grand finals because for a long time there you couldn't even watch a grand final. But we will talk about our experiences a little bit later in the show. But I want to start off with the Brownlow medal, which of course was the big story out of last night. Congratulations to Lockie Neal winning his second Brownlow medal on 31 votes. He polled the three votes in the final round of the home and away season to pit Marcus Bontempelli, who's going to be the bridesmaid again on 29 votes. Nick Dacos, as we all expected, was a big leader with six weeks to go and then didn't poll a vote and unfortunately finished third. And then uh, some youngsters that polled really well too, Noah Anderson and Errol Goulden, Zach Butters, and of course Christian Petrarca was around the mark. What's your initial reaction waking up today to the Brownlow medal results? When you when you look at it really and the, and the names that everyone predicted were going to feature heavily, they're all the names that are up there at the pointy end of the table. So for the most part, it, it looks like, um, you know, we've, we've, we've ended up with a really deserving win. Um, you know, Lockie Neal, probably a little bit of a surprise that he polled so well, particularly early in the season. And this is this is one that I know the AFL don't like, is when you sit around, you pick an All-Australian team, you leave out the Brownlow medalist from the All-Australian team. That is, that is actually something that's come up in previous meetings where we've got to have him in. He's probably going to win the Brownlow. So that would be one that I know retrospectively the AFL wouldn't be too happy about. But congratulations to Lockie Neal. What, what, a, what an unbelievable week it must be to spend the Monday night getting ready for the Brownlow win it and now be embarking on your first grand final. Congratulations to him and, and the Brisbane Lions boys on what must be a, a really exciting period for them. Yeah, he was pretty quick last night, Rue, to get out of the uh, the interview and, and get home because uh, it was like 11 o'clock and they're like, we've got training tomorrow and we've got a, a, a bigger fish to fry yep. on grand final. So they got out of there. But I'm with you. I think he was a he deserving winner. There's been a bit of hysteria waking up this morning, particularly on social media, as we're used to, that uh, he may have got some votes when he didn't deserve it. And to be fair, he probably did. There was a game in round six when he, he only had the 20 disposals, didn't have any influence, wasn't in the coaches' votes and got three votes. But for people to say that he doesn't deserve to win or not a worthy winner are kidding themselves. If you take a look at his year, there were nine games where he was where the coaches voted him either best on ground 
or second best on ground. He was always going to be around the mark. And as you know, generally when you win a Brownlow, you need to poll some votes in a couple of games that you don't expect to. Now, this one was maybe on the extreme end, but he was around the mark and he was going to be around the mark all night. He maybe didn't have as consistent a year as, say, Petrarca or Bontepelli, but his best games, he was still polling a lot of three votes regardless. Your argument's a good one, Joey, because you could make the argument that there were probably some games where Liberatore was more influential than Bontempelli, but because he's Bontempelli, he gets the three and Liber gets the two. You know, there is a little bit of your reputation precedes you on Brownlow Medal Day, and certainly after the games when the umpires are maybe a little bit torn, human nature means that you lean towards the gun player. There were a few stinkers. I mean, Jeremy Cameron's 25 possessions, six goal performance for one vote I thought was extraordinary. (laughs) He thought it was extraordinary as well. He always provides some pretty good value. And I still, Joey, I still and um, part of the Key Ford Mafia obviously have an issue with Charlie Curnow, arguably the best player in the home and away season this year. Obviously finals record um, wasn't what he would have liked it to have been, but home and away, arguably the best player in the competition and he was beaten by John Newcomb and Brad Crouch by a vote in the Brownlow medal. <laughs> so it remains the midfielder's award, but I think there's something fundamentally wrong when John Newcomb and Brad Crouch, no offence to those guys, but Charlie Kernow had a super year and got pipped by a vote to both of those guys. Yeah, he did. But to be fair, every award is all the, the midfielders, whether it's the coach's award, the player's award, the media award, everyone votes the midfielders because at the end of the day, over the course of a season, they probably do have the most influence in the most amount of games. And, some of this other hysteria now, because of those stinkers that you mentioned, people saying you've got to take the award off the umpires is the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard, Rui, because the whole Brownlow medal is the umpire's award. It's an umpire's award. So if you don't like it, well, let's have the coach's award. Well, we've already got that. Let's have media awards and let the media decide who is best on ground. Well, we have lots of them. Um, and the, coach, the players can also vote. So I think people just need to temper it. Which is the most realistic award, do you think? Which is the greatest reflection of the best best players? Well, it should be the coaches' award, you would think. It should be the coaches because they have time to actually wait and assess it and make a decision on a Monday afternoon when they put their votes in. And you would expect the coaches have the best knowledge and insight into the game, how it unfolded, who influenced the game the best. So... And the same five players, really, for the coaches' votes, were there. Lockie Neal was fifth in the coaches' votes. It was Zach Butters, Just Pipping, Marcus Bonson, Pally. But they're all, again, within sort of two games of each other. So they don't get it too far wrong. The one thing I will say about the umpires, though, really, in the Brownlow medal that people need to understand, they're the only people that vote on any award that don't get to access the stats. So I think... They they they, should. I I agree. I think they should. I think they have done a remarkable job to do as well as they do considering they don't get stats because as you and I would know, even in the media, there are a lot of so-called experts that if they didn't look at the stats, they would get some – mistakes as well with who they vote for as best on ground. And they get access to stats. It's bloody hard to do. It is. Yeah, it's bloody hard to do. And when you've you've, uh, been in the commentary box, as as we both have, and been asked to vote on awards, 3-2-1s, whether that's for something like the Ian Stewart medal or or one of those awards for a random game of football, trying to do it without stats is is a really, really difficult exercise. But I think we we would end up with a more informed decision and we would avoid the stinkers, which, to be honest, detract from Lockie Neal's victory in this situation if we were able to provide the umpires with stats because you're probably not going to change 95% of the votes 
but you might just eliminate some of those real howlers that we had last night. Spot on. And it's just a guide, but it can also trigger some thoughts. And, oh, yeah, oh, Charlie Cameron kicked seven goals in there. Oh, yeah, he did kick a few. And, you, you know, you, you might just be triggering some uh, some thoughts. And I, I agree. So I think they do a great job considering they are the only ones who don't get access to votes. And that is true because I followed up. We know they probably got a little bit loose on the last – however many years where umpires would maybe check their phones for the same reason as us, just to get a guide and to make sure they get it right. But because of the betting scandal that happened with one umpire 12 months ago, the AFL really clamped down on umpires looking at any sort of stats before they vote. So that's probably why this year, more so than in the past 10 years, we probably had a few more anomalies. But I think overall they do a pretty good job considering that, as we said, they don't get the the access to the stats. Hey, one of the other highlights of the night was, we're going to call him our man, Will Ashcroft, because he is part of the footy talk family he was on with dale thomas about a month ago talking about the goal that now won him goal of the year what happened yeah i'm not sure to be honest i think um i had a bit of a quieter first quarter i was yeah against frio and you know just my mindset going into the second was to try get involved and um started started in the midfield and just yeah i wanted to work as hard as i could to, to try and get involved early and then yeah sort of stoppage in, in our front 50 and yeah not sure the ball sort of just bounced up and I actually saw a highlight last night at the awards and I didn't realise how far sort of behind my head it was <laughs> grabbing it. So, yeah, sort of just, um, yeah, leapt up for it and probably didn't have time to, to come to the ground and have a shot because there was sort of everyone around, well, defenders around me and sort of, yeah, just threw it on the boot and, and luckily it sort of floated through. Uh, have you ever practised anything like that? Are you one of the guys pre-training and post-training, you're kicking inside-out torps and bananas and all those sorts of things from the pocket? No, nah, nothing like that really. I think probably a couple of times maybe in my in my junior career, I, you know, from stoppage maybe yep. getting getting it off the maybe if you're getting tagged or something, you sort of go up and get it and could be kicked forward out of the air, but never never a goal. So um yeah, I'm sort of just an instinct play and um luckily it came off. So if you want to listen to that full interview, you can go back on the listener, Apple or Spotify, take a listen to the episode of Will Ashcroft. And I'll tell you what, it just reminded me, uh, we've spoken a lot about the Brownlow medal and the same names, and generally the umpires do lean towards the same name. So even Paddy Cripps had a huge Brownlow night considering he probably yeah. wasn't his best year, but, you know, Cripps, Neil, Bonson Pally, Dangerfield, Dusty, all the names. There is a new wave of youngsters who are going to poll a heap of votes over the next 10 years. So Will Ashcroft in his first year, before he got injured, had polled 10 votes. So Nick Dacos polled 11 in his first year. Nick Dacos in his second year, of course, polled 28. Noah Anderson polled a heap. Jason Horn Francis polled 16 votes. In his second season, he will win a Brownlow one day as well. Mark my word. Young Tom Green as well from the Giants also polled 16 votes. So we've got this new batch of young superstars that are going to be taking over the Brownlow medal count for the next 10 years. Nice little insight there into the mind of Will Ashcroft as well, talking about goal of the year, and he's taken us right back into his mindset in the first quarter and moving <laughs> into the midfield. Mate, we just wanted to hear about the goal, but um, he, he's, a, he's a pro, the young man. Um, love the way he goes about it. There was a bit of Daniel Wells. Remember that yep. Jackie Chan kick that he he did about that one? So that was a beauty. And and it is it is worth reflecting on Nick Dacos' season. I mean, he would have romped it in yep. if he didn't get hurt yep. towards the back end of the year. He would have been a uh, a clear winner of the Brownlow Medal. So, hopefully, he's able to uh, to secure one in the not too distant future. He'd be obviously focused on the on the grand final and winning a flag. That would be his number one priority. But what a season from the young man, Rui. Let's cast our mind back to the weekend just gone. A couple of cracking preliminary finals. The Friday night game between Collingwood. And the Giants and then Carlton almost doing the impossible, going up to the Gabba and beating the Brisbane Lions. What did you take out of the weekend? What were your first thoughts? 
Oh, I mean, incredible games of footy, really. I, I um, couldn't, be, I, I just couldn't believe that the Giants' run over the last month. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know whether it was going to frank against a Collingwood team that had just taken all before them. But wow, what what an unbelievable season from then. The the, the rise and 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 then the fact that Collingwood were able to get it get it done again in the fashion that they've done so consistently. So so that was just a phenomenal game of football. And and well done to the Giants and, and Adam Kingsley. We'll get into them. Um, and then obviously the uh, the onslaught early from Brisbane. This this signaled to me that it's a different Brisbane group because at home, all the pressure, they've had this opportunity time and time and time again and haven't been able to capitalise on it. And to go five down really, really quickly and find a way to just grind and claw your way back into the contest, I, I think is really it really speaks to the evolution of the Brisbane group, particularly the mental toughness that they now possess having experienced what they have over the past few years. Yeah, spot on. I thought that was one of Brisbane's best performances, backs against the wall, and then really they dominated after quarter time. This is as good a look as they're ever going to have. It's their fifth crack at it. They are ready. Their game's in really good order, but they are going to have to somehow find a way to crack this Collingwood team that doesn't matter the circumstances, they find a way to win. Whether they do it in the fourth quarter, whether they come out of the blocks, whether they flick a switch and are able to turn the game in the space of 20 minutes, they just find a way. And that last four minutes, five minutes from them, the professionalism to be able to lock it down and not allow even one behind for the Giants was a remarkable effort. But it's not really a surprise because Craig McRae really has coached 50 games now. 15 of them have been decided by a kick. Every third game that Craig McRae's coach has been decided by one kick and they've won 12 of those 15. They just get it done. You get used to it in the end, don't you? And so you're constantly practising and, and being in, in real situations of, of the scenario almost repeating itself one every three games. So no, no wonder. I mean, they, they've got great leadership clearly at the top. They train it well and then, and then execution when it really, really matters is, uh, is, is what you know, separates the best from the from the also-rans. And, yeah, that, that was a phenomenal performance. Hey, let's cast your mind back to when you were a player. The scenes in the Giants' rooms particularly sat with me watching Toby Green um, basically in hysterics with his mum and, and his partner. Basically, all the emotions hit him and overwhelmed him. He spoke really well post-game and then the emotions got the better of him. What, what's, it, what's the feeling like? Because you're an emotional man. You cried a couple of times as well. Take us into that feeling of when you get so close but miss out for the, these Giants players in particular uh, and the Carlton players, to be fair, what it's like as a, as a footballer. Yeah, well, there's going to be another group as well come Saturday that are going to experience something, um, you know, probably even more heartbreaking. And that's having put yourself out there as much as you possibly can as an athlete with without any guarantee of actually getting the reward that you want. But we're, we're kind of all told and led to believe that, hey, we do the work, then we're going to get the reward. And, and it's just not like that. There is so much that goes into it and you do need a lot of luck. I mean, that, that game, Collingwood, the Giants, when you consider how unbelievable Collingwood have been all year, they were this close from not even being able to play play off in the grand final. So, for 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 guys, you know, it 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 consumes you. It it occupies so much of your mind for so long, and so much goes into it that when you fall short, it, it is absolutely heartbreaking. And um, you know, we we know all too well. We've experienced that. I was the same in in two thousand and nine in the, in the rooms at the MCG post grand final. You know, just completely overwhelmed with, with emotion because. 
you, you, you walk away with the feeling that it just wasn't meant to be like that um, and, and that it was our turn. And, um, you know, there's a team on the other side that have thought exactly the same way, the same way all the way through. And that's what makes football so great and sports so great is because we deal in absolutes and there's a winner and there's a loser and it's kind of an all or nothing thing. So, um, you know, I feel for Toby Green. I love that he showed that emotion because it just shows how much he he cares. And um, I think that's as a fan, all you want from your players is you want want to know that it hurts and that they care. And and he showed that. And and um, you know, it was almost demonstrable in his in his sort of body language post game, which which I loved. I love the emotion. And, of course, it is the most exciting week as a player, grand final week. There's so many people that want to have a conversation. There's so much uh, text messages and a lot of people asking for tickets and, of course, the grand final parade and all the thrills that come with uh, playing in a grand final. But also there's some heartbreak as well and there's going to be some big storylines. Is Taylor Adams going to be able to get up with his hamstring? Is Jack Payne, who's been so instrumental this year for Brisbane, going to be able to get up and play? You had something similar before one of the grand finals where you actually had to do a fitness test and weren't sure whether you could actually play in a grand final. Just take us back to that story. Yeah, that was 2009 and got a little bit excited, Joey, with all the, the crowd down at uh, down at RSEA Park at Moorabbin. Um, felt like Usain Bolt running a 400 <laughs> in the warm-up with the way the crowd were cheering around, around the outside and gave the, uh, gave the hip flexor a little bit of a tweak. And, of course, it's grand final week, so you, you can't just stroll into the usual Melbourne Olympic uh, Park scanning MRI centre or – uh, which, which the other one, the Avenue there in, in Malvern. So had to go out to Box Hill Hospital in the cover of darkness at 11 o'clock at night on the, uh, on the Thursday before the grand final to get the scan and then, and then have a jab to figure out if we could actually numb, numb the area of pain and, and be able to sort of function enough to be able to play on, on the Saturday, which we were able to do. And, and I went out and I played and it was, it was not the ideal preparation, <laughs> to be honest, running strides up and down the, uh, the Box Hill Hospital with the old ladies in their dressing gowns, picking their head out the door saying, keep it down out there. Um, but, yeah, it, was a, uh, it just added to the experience of grand final week, I think. Yeah, it certainly did. And, of course, Zach Dawson also, remember, he got food poisoning the night before and he was crook wasn't he, he was nearly not going to play in the warm-up I remember Rob Eddy was our emergency he got a call he was having dinner with his mum and dad the night before the game he got a call get ready to play you might be needed didn't tell him didn't tell him why because he didn't want to get out that Zach Dawson was uh, a bit of food poisoning and really battling and yeah there's always some storylines and I think we'll find out post this grand final of maybe one or two other stories there'll be a couple hey do you remember speaking of Brisbane Collingwood grand final do you remember Lee Matthews coming out to the footy club and speaking to us before the 09 final series? I think it was, yeah, it was before the final series, not before the, the grand final itself. But I uh, I, I do remember it. Um, you know, Lee, Lee walked in. He was a big, uh, big, uh, great mentor of, of Ross Lyons. So I think Rossy seized the opportunity to, to call on his old mentor. And, and he came out and spoke about, you know, what it, what it means, um, what, what it takes and, um, yeah, he's a he's a phenomenal man, Lee, and I, I remember that well. Joey, what are your recollections? I've, I've got none, really. You know, I said to you off there, I cannot remember. <laughs> Apologies to the great Lee Matthews. God, he must have left an impression on me, but I've got no recollection of Lee Matthews uh, coming to speak to us. Hey, he should be doing the grand final cup, by the way. How good would it be Lee Matthews presenting oh, the yeah. premiership cup to either Craig McRae, his former pupil, or to the Brisbane Lions Football Club where he went there and won three premierships in a row and 20 years on. So I hope he is the one that they go with. And whether he'd want to do it, I'm not sure whether how he'd feel about it. I think he'd want to do it. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a win-win on either yeah, side. Suppose. You know, a, a premiership coach at Collingwood and a premiership coach at Brisbane. So he's the uh, he's the obvious choice. Hey, we'll get stuck into the game straight after this. I want to get your take. Who's going to win and why? Who's going to be the Norm Smith? That's all up next on Footy Talk. Right, Rui, let's take an early preview of the grand final. I know it's still pretty early in the week, Tuesday morning as we speak. Brisbane taking on Collingwood, the best two teams of the home and away season. Both been close in the past without winning the big one in recent years. How do you see this one unfolding? I find predictions like this almost impossible and because particularly games involving Collingwood, because it's there's something just hard, like hard or impossible to measure about them, which is the intangible. I mean, you look at the way Brisbane play. I feel like I've got a really good you know feel for them and understanding in the way they go about it. And and then Collingwood can be in situations where the opposition dominate games. You know, we saw it so many times this year. Think back to the the Adelaide game at the Adelaide Oval, where they had no right to be in it. They had no right to win it, and they just they just found a way. So. That 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 Collingwood fibre for me is is the real X factor within within this game of football, and I, I think Brisbane will dominate statistically. I think they'll dominate contested possession. I think they'll dominate being able to cause turnovers, but I think Collingwood will find a way to win. And I don't know how you explain that, but that's the way I see it unfolding. I still think it's going to be a, a really tight one. I still think Brisbane, you know, that that they dominate so many parts of the game so well that. That, that midfield battle in there I think is going to be one that really suits Brisbane, that ability to win the contest. Um, Collingwood, we know, they, 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 they shore up so well behind the footy and slingshot out of there. So I'm excited. I think it's going to, it's going to, going to be one of the great grand finals we've seen. It's, it's, it's got the two, I think, clearly the two best sides in the competition this year going, going heads at it, in, in, both in great form as well. Yeah, I, I see it really similar. I think that Brisbane are a team that when they own the game, they played in their front half. They control territory. They control contested ball. And they've got the wood over Collingwood. They've beaten them all three times in the last two years under Craig McRae. I just wonder whether Brisbane are also a team, really, when they do control the game, they do put it on the scoreboard. So they are a bit different to Melbourne in that they play similar to Melbourne in that they can control it in their forward half, but they actually put the score on the board. They're a bit more threatening. So it is going to be a challenge for Collingwood. But as we said, I think I'm with you. I think they just find a way to win. Um, I think that, again, whether it's coming back in the last quarter, whether it's their start, they will have a period where they'll put the scoreboard on. And I'm going to go with Collingwood by three points. I think they'll do it one more time. I think they'll play in another close game. Brisbane will be this in this into their uh, up to their ears. But I'm just thinking that Collingwood, this fairy tale run, I can just see it ending with a Premiership Cup. So I've got the pies and I've got uh, I've got Jordan DeGoey, I think, winning the Norm Smith. He is a big-time player. He's played massive in some big finals. I think he'll put together another one. I reckon Josh Dunkley will try and go to him, but I'm not sure whether outside of contest and stoppage um, he'll be able to uh, nullify Jordan DeGoey's influence. What about you for Normie? Good call because Cripps was the perfect matchup for him because Cripps is uh, is you know, he's good on the inside and I think Dunkley was was perfect for that but I don't know if he's got the speed and the power to go with Degoey on the outside when he gets that burst play happening. Um, look, I'm going to go I'm going to go very similar. I'm going to go Collingwood by less than a kick. For me, I, I think behind the footy, I think it, this sets up beautifully for for Darcy Moore. Um, to 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 be able to roll off, play that intercept role, and and um, you know get get his sort of 
10, 12, 15 intercept possessions behind the footy and, and, and take home the Norm Smith medal. If Brisbane are able to get up, I, I, I just want to – have a shout out to, to Chris Fagan and what he's been able to do with that group this year in the midst of the most stressful time um, I, I, I can imagine um, for, a, for, a, for a coach and a, and a leader of men and, and someone who's been such a great teacher to so many young men to have faced what he faced and, um, you know, be resolute in his, his in his denial and then get back and do what he's done with that group. Uh, hats off to Chris Fagan. I think he, he, uh, he should be applauded and he's a, he's a great man and I, I wish him all the best for the final. Rui, let's get through some of the big sort of news or storylines that are still bubbling away this week and get your take. Is it a big deal or not? The AFL need to get better at ticketing for grand finals. Only 17,000 tickets allocated to members for each team. What's your take? Big deal. Big deal. That's no. That's nowhere near enough. Seventeen percent. Let's call it for uh, for for the hardcore fans. No, I, I think that's. That number should be at least double. I was staggered when I heard that that number. I mean, we've always known that preliminary final weekend was the the true fans weekend, and that the grand final there is a corporate element. But gee, that that number seems low, particularly when you've got a club like Collingwood who get in, who have such a large uh, membership base as well. So that is a big deal. Uh, I like to see that get rectified. I don't know, maybe we just need bigger stadiums, Joey. Um, footy is such a big sport. We keep packing it out. Hey, uh, big deal or not for you, Charlie Kerno's finals performances? Um, I'm going to say not a big deal in the context that it's going to damage his reputation. I sort of thought about this and I thought everyone said, oh, you know, I, I agree your reputation can get enhanced with strong finals performances. We've spoken about Jordan DeGoe and we know Dustin Martin and Andrew McLeod's legendary Luke Hodge, etc. But I'm not necessarily sure if you're a gun player or a star that your reputation gets damaged. You tell me off the top of your head who we talk about as a big gun in the competition that we go, oh, but he didn't play well in finals, so he's not as good as we think. I don't think anyone comes to mind. I mean, there's been some players like Gary Rowan or Leon Davis who have had really sort of, I mean, obvious bad games that we've sort of spoken about in the past. But I don't think your reputation when you are a superstar yeah. necessarily gets diminished. Oh, no doubt he's disappointed and he got beaten. Absolutely. What's your take on that? Yeah, look, I, I think you can get it, – it, it can go two ways, right? You, it only gets spoken about if your team actually doesn't win. That's I mean, right. there have been some phenomenal players, some of, some of the greatest of all time that have had, you know, quiet – Final series and, and grand finals that, but but that never gets spoken about because you ultimately end up on the right side of the result. So look, first first final series, um, we know that it becomes harder to get clean ball, uh, particularly as a four. That's why you don't necessarily see the big bags from forwards in finals because the the balls coming in pressured a lot more often than not. Um, but look, I, I think it'll fuel him. I think they'll be back next year. I expect Carlton to be good for you know another half a decade at least until he'll get another shot at it. Yeah, whether we like it or not, if you win the premiership midday, it doesn't matter how you play in the finals, you get regarded as one of the, the greats. And if you don't, then there's always that little little bit of lingering question mark. Hey, Rui, the uh, the Kangaroos got a handout from the AFL, a couple of extra first round picks back end of the first round. This is blatant manipulation and too much. Big deal or not? Big deal. It's a lot. I mean, when you when you consider that the Kangaroos have been able to stockpile a, a lot of talent over the last few years because they have been down down the bottom of the ladder, I just wonder whether it's going too soon. And I know we don't want to see the Kangaroos sit down the bottom forever, but 
and, and the argument that, well, you know, well, you know, St Kilda, they had a priority pick back in, it's 23 years ago. You know, so those so priority picks haven't been a thing really for, for the past 20 seasons in the way that they used to exist. And since then we do have uh, measures, equalisation measures designed to, to allow clubs to go down and, th- and then come back up. And some clubs choose that path. Other clubs like Geelong and Sydney have been able to just continually stay relevant because they've gone about it a different way. So, look, I think that the Kangaroos, um, like other clubs, have, have chosen to go on down and, and haven't necessarily gotten it right. So I think it was um, there was some levers to be able to be pulled and they pulled a very, very strong one with, you know, essentially three end of first rounders. It was interesting. Ross Lyon and Chris Scott on AFL 360 last night and they both completely agree with you. And it was interesting, Chris Scott even brought it up with even though his brother was the coach. In the last 10 years, the Kangaroos have played in eight finals. St Kilda have played in two. Yet the Kangaroos are getting all these handouts. So it's almost, if you're going to be bad, be really bad and you get looked after as opposed to just being Pretty bad. Anyway, that's for a different time. Hey, uh, Rude, just want to touch on Gil McLaughlin. His last week at the helm. He did his last Brownlow medal count last night. There'll be some new commissioners announced uh, in Sydney. Board member Andrew Ireland and GWS Giant and Freo midfielder Matt DeBoer, who was on the AFLPA board. He's a beauty, so that's a good get for the AFL. But just a quick word on Gil's reign at the, as the boss of the AFL. He's done a wonderful job, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. I mean, he's he's overseen um, a, a lot of incredible change in the game. It's it's easily the number one game in the country. Um, you know, there there are a lot of items, too many to list, that are going to be huge legacy pieces for him. Um, you know, really has has given the game back to the fans. I think has been a really really big one. So he, he's been an incredible leader for the organisation. Done done a fantastic job. And I. I wish him all the best. Shame, um, shame. I'm, I'm, I wish I was there this week to be able to uh, have a beer with him. He's a he's a closet Saints man, and he's going to be able to you know be out and, and loud and proud as a Saints supporter moving forward. So, well done to Gil. Uh, all the best, mate. Hey, we'll get him to St Kilda in a few years' time. Get him part of the club there and get us go. back, making St Kilda great again. We'll get him back up the top. Hey, Rui, this has been your last show for Footy Talk for the year. So, on behalf of everyone, we just want to say a big thank you for your time. It's been great to get your insights still. You still are one of the uh, the most significant voices in the AFL, even though you are all the way over there in Texas. I've loved catching up with you every Tuesday. A quick one. What are your plans 2024? A lot of people are asking, do you know what you're going to do yet? Uh, not yet, Joey. Just, you know, playing it playing it by ear. Um, but, yeah, enjoying our time over here. It's been been a great year. The kids are, are fully integrated. They actually started football on the weekend, which was, uh, hey. which was a lot of fun. So they're playing American football. Uh, it's amazing that you, you see the first session and the coach gets out the front and every kid puts up his hand. Hey coach, I want to play quarterback. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's the most desired position in world sport, maybe outside of tight end for the Kansas city chiefs. Oh, good. Uh, so yeah, Travis, Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey had yes. uh, Taylor Swift along on the weekend. The country's gone into meltdown. It's almost like grand final week, but we're talking about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. It's been phenomenal. So thanks for having me. Uh, Monday afternoons won't be the same for me, Joey, without being able to catch up with you, but Maybe we'll just uh, keep our little uh, keep our little time slot and catch up for a call every week. Sounds good, mate. Let's stay in touch. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Footy Talk. Of course, tomorrow we'll be on Triple M between 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock and, of course, on the podcast on the Listener app. Until then, enjoy your Tuesday. Listener.